In a society that puts so much value on rank, position, and power, it is difficult for many to grasp the concept of a God who would send His Son to be humiliated and die for us. But that's what makes God's love so amazing. Welcome to A Walk in the Word, where we bring you the Sunday sermons from Providence Baptist Church Gaston's worship services. In this week's sermon, Pastor John Friedrich discusses why God's love can be described as humble and why we stand in awe of Him for it. Let's join in as Pastor Friedrich preaches a message entitled, God's Humble Love, from Romans chapter 8. All right, good morning. It is good to be in the Lord's house with you uh, today as we gather around God's Word and see what He has to say. So, uh, as I said before, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. We'll be reading verses 37 through 39. 37 through 39. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne this morning, we are grateful that we once again have the opportunity to come to your house, Lord, to lift your name in praise and worship, to hear your word proclaimed, uh, to hear your word taught. Lord, it is truly an honor and a blessing to be able to do so, Lord. And we, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world that do so under dire circumstances, uh, under threat of persecution and death. Lord, just strengthen them, bolden them, encourage them uh, that they may be true to the gospel, whatever they might face, Lord. And Lord, let us have the same passion that they have for the gospel to be able to meet under those circumstances, uh, regardless of what consequences may befall them, Lord. And Lord, we... Uh, now, as we gather around your word, we just ask that you prepare our hearts and our minds for the truth that you want us to take away from this. And Lord, I'm not worthy to be the one to stand here and present the word to the folks that have gathered. We just, I just ask that you take me and use me as you see fit. Take away anything that could in any way interfere with the message. Pride, distraction, uh, whatever it might be, Lord, selfishness, whatever. Just take it all away from Lord. Empty me, make me your vessel. And fill me with your spirit that the words that I speak might be of your doing and none of my own. Let the words that I speak be powerful of the spirit and, none of, and not of my own making in any way, shape, or form. And Lord, as a church, help us to continue to guide or move forward according to your guidance, uh, according to your purposes. Lord, open our eyes to the truths and to the paths that you have for us. And Lord, as individuals, help us to see the need around us for your gospel, the, the need to reach out, to be your hands and feet, to, to show your love and your peace. And Lord, just help us to always be uh, doing things that glorify and honor you in every way, shape, and form. And Lord, forgive us of the times that we've sinned against you, the times that we've chosen to take our own path and, and put ourselves upon the altar. And Lord, just forgive us for those times. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you look at Scripture, <clears throat> there is a repeated theme that is spoken of and many, many times, uh, particularly by Jesus in the New Testament. And that is uh, humility. Humility is a very key piece of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, the whole nature of Christianity is one that is humble. And God calls us to be humble in our days here on earth. 
Uh, we're supposed to be humble in our view of ourselves, humble in our service to Him, humble in our treatment of others. Uh, true humility is an absolutely critical component of our walk as a Christian. We cannot be truly effective as a Christian unless we are humble in our approach. And we are only as humble as the amount that we submit ourselves to Jesus Christ. The more we retain our, our will, retain our desires, retain in those kinds of things, the more we are not being humble. We're choosing to, to not be humble in our walk. So if we are willing to fully surrender and submit to the will of Jesus Christ, then we are showing humility. And humility really is inversely proportional to how important we see ourselves in the grand scheme of things. How big a deal you think you are, so to speak. And to many people, the statement I'm about to make is a difficult one to grasp. But we'll get into it and I'll explain it a little bit more so that they have a better understanding of what I'm trying to say. But in a, in a certain respect, God himself is even humble. Now, while it is true that God is truly a jealous God, and he rightfully demands our worship, our devotion, that is not an indication in any way, shape, or form that he is not humble. You see, when he demands that we worship him, when God says, you are to worship me and me alone, and while it is absolutely appropriate, he demands that we obey Him, and only Him is God, which is absolutely appropriate. It's really kind of along the same lines of me saying, my name is John, so call me John. I'm simply stating a simple fact of what should be done. And when God says, worship me alone, when God says, obey me alone, He is not being prideful in any way, shape, or form. He is simply stating facts. As God, he is entitled to do so. As God, it is appropriate for him to do so. And as God, it is a statement that simply is stating the reality of something. So it's a proper and appropriate response to the facts of who he is in this respect. All these things that he requires of us are simply an appropriate and proper response to who he is. And to act any other way would be for us to act contrary to what should be a normal response to basic truth. And in accordance with his humility, we also find that God's love is a humble love. Now, let's take a look at what love is, first of all. Love by its very nature is something that forces a fairly, a fairly sizable element and amount of humility on us. Love in its, in its truest design, in God's design, is a, a, a mechanism that requires us to be humble. I mean, think about it. When we love somebody, what happens? They become the focus, right? They become the focus of what uh, our lives are revolving around. They become what is important. They become the object of our efforts the object of our affections, the one that we would gladly sacrifice for, sacrifice our time, sacrifice our goods, make any sacrifice necessary. That becomes our focus. So by love in and of itself, it is humbling. 
We willingly expose ourselves emotionally in, in, in addition to that. So for true love to work, we have got to give of ourselves and the degree to which we give and invest ourselves in it, the more that love will grow and will flourish. Now this makes complete sense when you think about who the author of love himself is, and that being God. God is the author of love. The Bible tells us, in fact, that God is love. He's the embodiment of love. That is, it is at the very core of who He is. And it is a part of His nature. Unmistakably. He demonstrates for us, by His nature, by His actions, what exactly love is. But what I want to talk about this morning, what I want to dig more deeply into, and let God's Word show us, is how God's love is truly a humble love. And remember, seeing as God's love is a perfect love, it is flawless and one that sets for us the example. It is the model by which we should love. Hopefully, we can use what God's Word shows us today to not only grow in our relationship with Him, but with others in our lives for whom we love. And well, just, I guess, in a larger sense, others that we are commanded to love as well. And this expands out. Because we need to remember that we are commanded to love our enemies. We're not just told to love God and those that are in our family. We're not told to just love God and those that are nice to us. No, the, 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 the command that we are given about love is that we are to love everybody without exception. Even those that we would consider our enemies. Alright, so what is this telling us? How, does, how is it that God's love is demonstrated to us in that it is a humbling love, a humble love that He is showing us? And the first thing that we take away from this is that it is not dependent on receiving anything in return. It is not dependent on reciprocation. And this is where a lot of times we as Christians kind of get wrapped around the axle, let's put it. This is where we trip up ourselves a lot of times. Because by our very nature, by the whole nature of human existence and interaction, we make the assumption that God's view of us is contingent upon how we act towards Him. How we respond to His commands. A lot of times we kind of begin to find ourselves in that mindset. And this is a lie that the devil wants you to buy into. That God's view of you is dependent on how good a person you are. God's view of you is, uh, whether He loves you or not, is going to be dependent on how good a person you've been this past week. I mean, think about it though. Look at it from this perspective. We are sinners. We sin. No matter how much we may try and how much we don't want to, there are going to be times where we offend God. It is a part of our sin nature, and as long as we exist in the flesh, it is going to be a battle we struggle with. So there are going to be times we offend God, and that, that is just no getting around that. 
Therefore, Satan knows this, so he has devised the means of trying to get us to think that if God's love for us then is dependent on how we act, then he can make us feel defeated. He can make us feel like we are distanced from God because we are going to sin. So God certainly doesn't want anything to do with us, right? God looks at us and says, boy, what a waste of time these people are. This is what Satan wants you to believe. That when you stumble, while we struggle with that conflict between what we know is right and the flesh, when we stumble and we look and we say, God must hate me, Satan is in our ear saying, yeah, he does. He doesn't want anything to do with you. But that's not the reality. That's not the truth because Satan is a liar. And he is the father of all lies. Because God's love is not dependent on reciprocation. It's not dependent on our actions. So Satan wants to tell us this, but praise God, this is not the case. Romans 5.8 tells us very clearly, but God commendeth his love toward us, what? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or another wording is that despite the fact that we were sinners... Despite the facts that we offend him constantly, despite the fact that we are in no way deserving or in any shape or form uh, uh, worthy of it, God sent his son to die for us. I think it's safe to assume that God wouldn't have sent Jesus in the first place to die if he didn't love us, despite the fact that we are sinners. I mean, the fact that we were in our sinners is why he sent his son in the first place. And when we look at his motivation for doing so, this becomes crystal clear. This becomes crystal clear. Look at Titus 3.5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to what? His mercy. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see, it is based on His mercy and His grace that He did this. Not on our worthiness. When we think about the meanings of those words, an aspect of His love is revealed in that. What does mercy mean? Not getting what we deserve. What do we deserve? An eternity of torment. Punishment, separation from God forever. That's what we deserve. I don't care how good a person you think you are. That's what you deserve. Each and every one of us for one sin. But what about grace? Let's look at grace too. Unmerited favor or getting something we don't deserve. You see, this plays right into his love in that an arrogant God would look at this situation and say, you don't deserve to be pardoned especially when it would be my son who would have to suffer in order to make it, make it happen. See, an arrogant God would, would look at it that perspective. But not our God. I've heard this statement. I've used it multiple times. And it's a reality that we need to grab a hold of. And that is there's nothing you can do that will make you love God more. That will make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do that will make God love you less. 
No matter how far you drift, no matter how far you run, no matter, you cannot make God love you less. Now, that might make a question pop in your head. Well, then, how does God send people to hell? How does God send people to a place where they're eternally separated from Him to suffer for all eternity? How is it that He can love us and do this? Well, He is, and to put it bluntly, simply honoring your choice. He's respecting your choice to reject Him. You see, he's put all the pieces in place that need to be there in order for us to be with him, to enjoy him, to worship him, to, to be in his very presence forever. He has done the work. He has made it happen. <clears throat> but in our arrogance, we say, you know what? I don't need his plan. I don't need what he's done. I'm going to try to do it my way. I'm going to do it in my methods, in my plan, in my... I'm going to be a good enough person. I don't need Jesus. I'm just going to be a good enough person and try to make myself acceptable to God. So when God sends somebody to hell, He's simply saying, well, you've made the choice. I had everything laid out for you. I made a way for you to be with me forever, and you chose to reject it. So He is not being mean in doing that. He's simply honoring the choice that you made. Now it's important for us to remind ourselves of the fact that God's love is unwavering. We need to continually remind ourselves of that. Now we need to remember that no matter how hard we work, no matter how much good you do, you can't make God love you more than He already does. But on the flip side of that, no matter how far you drift, no matter how far you run, God doesn't love you any less. That is the nature of the word that is used in the Greek to describe the love of God. It is the word agape. It is complete and total with no conditions placed on it. Completely unconditional. It is independent of your actions. It's unilateral, in other words, it is completely one-sided in its initiation. It's all about God for us in that it is His decision to love us and we have no bearing in that. He made the decision to love us completely on His own and without our input or any need for our input, feedback or waiting to see how we respond to it. Now some might be thinking at this point that about where God says this in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, isn't that saying that He loves us more if we keep our command, His, our, His commandments? No, that's not what that's saying. Think about what that says. It's not saying that God will love us if we keep His commandments. It's God telling us that this is a way of expressing our love for Him. It's to obey Him. To do what He says. And that makes perfect sense. Remember what we said about truly loving someone means thinking less and less about ourselves and more and more about the object of our affection, object of our love? Well, God's commandments sometimes can go against what we want to do. There are times where God's commandment says this, but we say, but I want to do that. And it's at this point that we are left with a choice. 
We can do what we want, thus thinking of only ourselves and putting ourselves first, or we can do what is right. In other words, thinking about God and putting the object of our love first. So really, John 14, 15, 14, 15 is just a lesson from one who demonstrates perfect love on how we can more align ourselves with what he designed and intended for our love to be. And that is selfless and focused on the object of our love. The second thing that it teaches us is God's love has no consideration for position. God's love has no consideration for His position. Philippians 2, 5-8 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of what? No reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion as a man, he, what? Humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Keep in mind, we're talking the God of the universe. Creator of all that exists. And the Bible tells us that he humbled himself, made himself in the fashion of a man, and humbled himself in obedience even to death. And death upon the cross, one of the most excruciating uh, painful and humiliating ways to die. When you think about it, this just blow your mind. When you consider what God has done for us in light of who He is, setting all aspects of the personality of the current leaders aside, consider something. If you were to approach any of our political leaders today and ask them to give up something for you, doesn't have to be anything big. How likely do you think they would be to do so? Regardless of your standing in the community, you could approach them and say, would you be willing to sacrifice this for me? Let's take it to another level. Let's say you broke the law. You did something, you knew you shouldn't, you got caught, now you're facing the music. He knows that you broke the law. And you'll do so again. He knows that this isn't going to be the last time. Even if he felt like he cared about you enough to let someone else pay your fine and go to prison for you, how likely do you think he would make it would make, be that they would send their own son to do that? How would like how likely would it be that it would be someone else who's going to pay the price? Thinking, well, he was too important for his son to be the one to do it. But you see, God did exactly that. God said, I'm going to pay the price that you deserve. I'm going to pay the fine that you need to pay. I'm going to pay the penalty that you should be suffering. And send my very son to do so. You see, God knows who he is. Absolutely. But he does not take that into consideration when he shows his love for us. Psalms 113.5.8 says, Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who what? Humbled himself to behold the things that are in heaven and are in earth. 
He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. He lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. In Psalms 113, we see a celebration of God's condescension. And when you or I, though, refer to that word condescension, we assume it has a negative connotation. And then if it were talking about us, it would. What we're referring to here, though, is someone who is in a lofty position. Or when we're referring to it, when we talk about ourselves, somebody in a lofty position looking down their noses at us. That's condescending. But when it comes to Christian theology, it's the term is used in an entirely different manner. They use it to describe what is spoken of in Psalms 113. He condescends to us, not in reminding us of how worthlessness, or worthless we are, or needy we are, but by rather coming down to help us. Stooping down to help us in our position. This, the very God who exceeds all human understanding, makes himself known to us and has redeemed us through his only Son. A God who is infinite in every way, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, has stepped down to intervene on our behalf. This was an expression that went well beyond condescension. He loved us so much that he became one of us. He became human, dwelt among us, suffered alongside all the weakness of humanity. And ultimately, in the greatest possible expression of self-giving love, gave his life on our behalf. True love does not think of its own, but is willing to humble itself for the good of the object of the love. It's amazing when you think about it. It's amazing when we think about what God has done. And here's the thing. The more we learn about God, the more we grow in the knowledge of Him and come to a better understanding the magnitude of the place in, His place in the heavens, the immenseness of His glory, the expanse of His infinite authority, we become more appreciative and better understanding of this whole concept of His condescension. His coming down to help us. What's more, consider for a second the world we live in. The natural things of this world operate intermixed such that it creates a world that sustains and provides for our life. Everything from the rotation of the earth that provides for us a cycle to help us find the rest that the Lord knows our body needs, to sustaining the plants and the trees through the rain and sunshine that the Lord knows we need to maintain healthy air to breathe, even down to the very smallest act of sustaining gnats and mosquitoes, all a part of the precious balance that He has created for us. All the things that He shows us day after day after day, how He loves us, sustaining for us, maintaining life, providing the the environment that we need to live. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that this exists because of God. This isn't happenstance. This isn't by chance. This is not evolution. God sustains. God provides. 
Now I would just soon he let the mosquitoes and the gnats die and be done with them. I'm sure they he has a reason he created, although he's not sharing that with me. But to think that he lowers himself to care even for these creatures that we despise. He does all of this on our behalf to maintain a world that we can live in, sustain ourselves in. That in and of itself is an expression of love. Thirdly, God's love is humble because it holds nothing back from us. He's not holding anything back from us. It's no secret that God blesses us tremendously. Each and every one of us. His blessings come, though, in many forms. Do not be deceived by these prosperity gospel preachers who think that only God, God's blessings only come in the form of financial windfalls or power or position. In most cases, it does not. The Bible tells us very clearly, though, in Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purposes. This teaches us that everything that happens in our life is for our own good. It might not feel like that necessarily all the time, but it does. God knows better than we do. God has a bigger picture of things than we have. Granted, some things we experience may not seem like they're good, though. In fact, a lot of times we might be willing to argue the contrary. But for God to orchestrate things so that everything in our life are working for our good is simply amazing. And yes, that includes chastisement, discipline, that He sends our way to correct our path, to redirect our walk, to get our attention saying, you are in rebellion. Even that works to our good. Everything. All things work for our good. He is so good to us when you think about that. And yet, what do we do? We still rebel. But you know what? It doesn't change the promise. It doesn't change that truth that the Bible presents to us. The chastisement is for our good. Everything is for our good. And throughout our lives, we will find many little things that God sends our way that just are little blessings here and there that are for our enjoyment. The beautiful sunset that we happen to come across. That moment of sharing with someone we love that just kind of brings a smile to our face. Even that perhaps mangy mutt whose unending devotion just lets us know we're loved. All of that could be God's hand sending something our way to help us to find blessings in our everyday life. These are just some of the ways that God can send blessings our way. James 1.17 tells us, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Let's consider this statement for a moment. Consider what this is telling us. This is telling us that every blessing comes from whom? From God. Now, the term good gift here does not refer to everything that we enjoy because, quite frankly, sometimes we enjoy sin. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. 
So it's not referring to things that are sinful. Good gift and perfect gift refer to that which is good and beneficial to us in some way. And we know that sin is not a benefit for sure. God is constantly aware of our state and our mindset. And oftentimes he will send encouragement at a time when we're down. In those times when we have turned away and walked away from him, it would be easy for him to just kind of write us off say, well, lost that one, not going to worry about it anymore. Done with him, done with her. She decided to walk away, so, well, scratch that name off the list. It would be easy for him to do that and to let us wander without his touch in our lives. But you ever notice that those are the times where he kind of turns the volume up? He starts trying to get our attention, trying to draw us back into the fold through the conviction and work of the Holy Spirit, through his word, through circumstances. He loves us and desires that we have that broken relationship that we suddenly have because of our sinful natures. He wants it renewed. He wants it restored. And he'll go to tremendous lengths to do so. And nowhere is this more obviously stated than in probably the most commonly known verse in all of the Bible, and that is John 3.16. Where it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. His only Son. God held back nothing to show His love for us. His love was entirely giving, truly flowing out of His throne of mercy and grace and shows us just how far He would go. And when you truly think about it, He shouldn't have done it. The life of Jesus for ours? Really? Talk about an unmatched payment. Talk about an imbalanced giving. To say that would be an unequal trade would be to speak words that go beyond understatement. His love, His giving, His condescending, humble love would be so boldly expressed in how He gave of Himself ultimately paying, suffering, and dying for an unworthy, unholy bunch like us. That's a humble love. That's a humbling love as well when we think about it. It shows us what a tremendous God He is and how He should be glorified and how He should be praised and worshipped that He would go to such extremes unnecessarily to redeem a rebellious, hard-headed lot like us. And like I said, He's already done the work. Maybe you're struggling today to try to find worth in God's eyes. You're trying to find some merit in God's eyes, saying, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to be somebody who God will love. But let me tell you, folks, you don't have to do that. He already loves you. He already loves you, and He's already made a path where you could join Him forever. 
Our existence is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. He has made the path. He wouldn't create us for that purpose and not find a way for us that to be possible. He has done it. He has done it through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. But we have to recognize our need for that. We have to recognize our need for Jesus Christ and make the decision to embrace the work of the cross. The Bible says if we will acknowledge our sins, recognize that we are a sinner in rebellion against God, and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again three days later, then we can enjoy Him forever. We can begin that in this life and have it continue on even beyond death. A week from now, we celebrate the most pivotal moment in human history when Jesus Christ rose from the grave in victory over sin and death, declaring forever that I have paid the debt for your sin. How can we ignore such a tremendous love? A tremendous act of love. God loves you. Not because of who you are, but because of Him, who He is. And He has made a path for you to be with Him forever. The choice is entirely yours. So that when that day comes, that it's judgment time. And you have to stand before God and account for your decision. He's not going to send you to hell because He doesn't like you. He'll send you to hell because you chose to reject Him. Or, He'll welcome you with open arms into heaven forever because you chose to accept Him. The choice is yours. Let's say as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Fathers, we come before your throne this morning. We thank you for the truth that we have read through today, the truth that your word has shown us today. Lord, we know that we are so unworthy and undeserving of all that you have done for us, the blessings, the salvation. Lord, we know truly that we stand before you a broken people that have no recourse, have no hope outside of the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, I just ask that you use the Holy Spirit to burden the hearts of anybody that is here today or at the sound of my voice, either through the live stream or the podcast. Lord, just reach out to them. Let them see their need for your Son in their lives, Lord. Let them see their position before you as a sinner. A sinner that is deserving of an eternity of separation from you so that they might embrace the truth of salvation, Lord. Embrace the hope that only You provide, a hope that goes beyond this life, that they might find peace in knowing that they are a child of Yours. And Lord, let us embrace the reality, the magnitude of the love that You show us every day. Let us understand the cost of that love as well. And Lord, we love You and praise You, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time for another Walk in God's Word. Podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, CastBox, Downcast, and BeyondPod. Search for and subscribe to Providence Baptist Church, space hyphen space, Gaston Sermons. Until next time, may God bless you as we await his joyful return. Hi, this is John Friedrich, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. It's my prayer that our time together has helped you grow in your walk with God, or maybe he's even used it to guide you to discover the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to come worship with us. Our address is Providence Baptist Church, 977 Metafield Road, Gaston, South Carolina, 29053. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through our website at www.providencembcgaston.com or email us at providencembcgaston at gmail.com. Again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time as we take a walk in the Word.